coming up on today's show. It's my birthday. How am I celebrating, you ask? Well, I'm recording a podcast with my guy, Joe Thomas. Happy birthday to me. Sounds like a very unhappy birthday. But our guy, Emmanuel Acho, he's calling into the show to explain how the upcoming CBA vote could result in a legit labor strike. Ghost poops, goose liver pate, coronavirus theories, and Joe's jungle juice doctrine. All of this and much, much more coming up on a happy birthday, Hawk and Chuck Norris edition of the Tomahawk Show. What's up, Hawk? It's your boy, Todd. Yours truly, man. Just want to wish you happy birthday. I appreciate you, all the talks, and the good workouts from a couple years ago. Keep doing your thing. Hope you have a great birthday. Ah, oh, my guy Todd, man. That's dope. I appreciate that. Todd Gurley, for anybody that doesn't realize that I actually know famous people. And good, <laughs> I, but Joe is not the only good football player that I know, personally. That was like a podcast version of a name drop, right? Like you texted Todd Gurley and said, hey, man, could you please call into the Tomahawk voicemail line uh, and say something really nice about me so that I can prove (laughs) that I'm actually friends with some cool, good football players? Oh, Joe, Joe, Joe. It's funny. That's like the next level. That's the 21st century name drop. I didn't realize we were A, starting the episode, and B, um, we had been having a conversation we were talking shit before the, the episode started and so when it came on i'm like oh snap who is that who's been listening to us shit talk each other so it threw me off a little bit but no nah, my guy todd i appreciate that man todd is good people great yeah. people he's only 25 For, think about that todd Gurley is only 25 years old i feel like he's been in the league for seven years i know that's wild, but when man. he when he came in, he hit the ground running. He was oh, a yeah. stud from day one. I remember we played them in uh, St. Louis. I think it was his rookie year. It was the game that I got those concussions that you've seen, you know, firsthand. Me getting run over by Nick Fairley. Yeah, but in that it. same game, from what I do remember of that game, I remember Todd Gurley being way better than we were. Um, even as a rookie, so, <laughs> as a whole, as a Todd whole. Gurley as a player was better than the <laughs> Cleveland Browns as a whole. If they would have offered a deal to give them thirty-one of our players for Todd Gurley, the Browns would have taken it that day. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Oh, uh, well, I think that's uh, a good way to start because it's time for another exciting episode of the Tomahawk Show. As you know, that amazing dual set that you've been hearing is Andrew Hawkins, my co-host. My name is Joe Thomas, and we are celebrating today on the Tomahawk Show because this is the Andrew Hawkins happy birthday edition of the Tomahawk Show. Andrew, March 10th, it's your birthday. You share a birthday with Chuck Norris, Carrie Underwood, John Hamm, Timbaland, Sharon Stone. Do you have any big birthday plans today? I don't have any birthday plans. I'm catching up on emails. Uh, I'm going to eat spaghetti. Spaghetti is my favorite food, so I'm going to eat that for lunch. Um, I like how we're doing this thing where we're acting like we're celebrating my birthday, but in actuality, it's just me working on my birthday. But it's, mm. a, it's a good spin job by the folks here over at the Tomahawk Show and <laughs> Joe Thomas Yay. included. Like, hey, we want to celebrate you. Yay, Make sure you're you. here by noon or <laughs> yes. we're going to dock your pay. Nah, man. Yeah, so Chuck Norris, I knew he was a birthday twin of mine. I didn't know John Hamm was a birthday twin. I'm a John Hamm fan. I'm a mm. Timberland fan. Um but Chuck Norris is the one. So I, I like to think of myself as the media version of Chuck Norris. Do you have any favorite Chuck Norris-isms? Like, do you remember for a while yeah. it was like, th- there was like the Chuck Norris uh, is so amazing type things? Yeah. Actually, let me look one up real quick. He was like the original um, 
what's the guy from the the, the beer Joe commercial? Sucky's he was he was like the original. I would bet you now now that I know about marketing and branding, and I've been on this side of it. I bet when they wrote the treatment or c- came up with the concept for the Dosecki's guy that Chuck Norris was the the catalyst for that. That's how this works. So I'm, I would put every dollar in my bank account that <laughs> that whole phenomena, which this generation has no idea about, right? You know the most you know the most interesting man in the world. That's what the jokes that we would they would say about Chuck Norris when we were like in middle school, in high school, and and coming up. Like it's funny, but yeah, that's uh I don't have any funny Chuck Norrisisms yeah. because the Dosecki's guy brainwashed me into giving them all to him. Yeah, but here's what people don't remember: the Chuck Norrisisms were so much funnier. They were like legitimately funny stuff. Like here's one for you. Uh, Chuck Norris doesn't read books. He stares them down until he gets all the information he wants from them. I do remember this one. What are I mean, and then it was like time waits for no man unless that man is Chuck Norris. In the Bible, Jesus turned water into wine, but then Chuck Norris turned that wine into beer. Like there was just millions of those things. And I remember late night one time in in Madison in college, uh, we are having an after bar at our apartment and we printed these off and we started reading them and we were in tears we were laughing so hard because they were so funny and it was so relevant at the time and it's so sad that i guarantee 50 percent of the players in the nfl right now don't even know who chuck norris is no clue who chuck norris no is. Clue. can we since they don't know this is also how entertainment works can we just use all those chuck norris isms and make them um hawk isms so can we just start <laughs> andrew hawkins that? doesn't wash his clothes he disembowels them. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Andrew Hawkins is the only man to ever defeat a brick wall in a game of tennis. <laughs> Andrew Hawkins doesn't flush the toilet. He scares the shit out of it. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Which reminds me of my kids. They've been ghosting me in my uh, bathroom that's associated to my little office that I have uh-huh. uh, my podcast equipment set up in. And I think I need to set a trap. So if you guys at home have any traps, any good ideas <laughs> on how to catch my kids in the act of ghost pooping me, please <laughs> let me know. Drop me a voicemail at 440-628-1376 and let me know the best method to catch him. I was thinking like maybe like a sticky pad. So when they come in there, their feet get stuck and then they're stuck there until I come back the next day. And then I can catch them in the act and they have to smell what they did for a full 24 hours. Happy birthday to me. We've transitioned to people ghost pooping <laughs> Joe's office. That's here. That's us on the Tomahawk show. So Joe, what was your, and I shouldn't be asking you, you should be asking me this, but I'm going to switch it up because it's our show. We do what we All want. Right. What was your favorite birthday year? Um, I think my favorite birthday year was 21. I don't know what yeah, year why. that was per se, because, you know, when you finally reach that age that you've been thinking about for a long time to be able to <laughs> legally buy a beer or my mom, she listens to this podcast. So the first time I ever was able to finally buy a beer and enjoy it and f- taste what that nectar <laughs> of the gods tastes like, it was a big moment, you know, nectar and I think after that, there was some exciting birthdays, but I can't remember ever having another one that really stood out because it was always in the middle of football season. So we never really celebrated it with anything big and elaborate. Um, but my favorite birthday that I celebrated for my wife, because you know, she's my better half and she's, you yeah, know, to become one when you have the beautiful union of marriage. Yep. Uh, and so I think my favorite birthday for her was, we went to Napa with some couples a few years ago and okay. we did like the wine tastings and we had a great time. Like Napa for adults is Disneyland and it's Vegas for people that are like over 35 that can't stay up past 10 p.m. It's perfect. It's perfect for you. I don't, Food, I, wine, drunk, 
So growing up, we, we weren't big, a big birthday family because here's why. When you have so many kids in a house and there was a time, I mean, besides my parents having six children, we had cousins living with us and it wasn't like a huge house. So there might have been 12 or like 13 people in like our house at one time. So when you have that many people living in a house, birthdays can't be a big deal because there's too many of them. There's always one going on. There's I mean, you always constantly one celebrating. So even now at the the ripe young age of 34, I still have a hard time making my birthday like making it making myself care about it. Hmm. I'm not like a big like oh look at me it's my birthday. Like, yeah. I I didn't know it was my birthday today when I woke up. My mom called me last night. I'm working on a deck, a show deck of a show I'm trying to create. I'm working on that deck. My mom calls me three times, and I'm like, ah, I got to finish this deck. I'll call her back. I have not talked to her yet. I, it wasn't <laughs> until today when I had a bunch of messages that I realized my mother was calling me at midnight on the East Coast to tell me happy birthday, and I missed it because I don't even realize that it's my birthday. So that's funny, but I've had, to, I've had, I have had some cool birthdays. Yeah. One cool birthday. My wife, Keisha, she threw me my first birthday party ever at 25. So that was the first time I ever had a birthday party. Surprise, went bowling. That was awesome. That was a good one. Another yeah. good one was my 21st birthday. My older brother, Artrell, was in the NFL at the time. Oh, I bet that was killer. And he, we went out in Miami to Club Mansion and it was my first time, my first taste of what you know, the life in the NFL felt like, and I'm like, you know what? I'd like to keep <laughs> this for bad. a while. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna try to do this. I'm gonna try so to that, do this thing. That was a monumental one. Yeah, um, that's funny. Uh, my wife took me to Vegas. Nice. That was probably my favorite one. We we acted like we were 21 again, so it was like a re-up. So that was cool. That was my favorite birthday. The the weirdest birthday party I've ever been to. Now transitioning out of my own birthdays. And I told this story to the producer John before the show, and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna share it. So I was interning here at Uninterrupted, okay? This would have been 2017. I was an intern, came, wanted to get my feet wet in this world of business to get ready to transition out of the league, was still in the NFL. So at the end of the internship, I'd done a good job here. And before I was, I was heading back to like OTAs with the, the Patriots or whatever. And Mav Carter, who is the founder, co-founder of Uninterrupted and LeBron business partner, he's like, hey man, before you get out of here, let's, let's catch up, let's get dinner or something, you know, Come over to the crib. I have somebody, you know, cook and we'll go go from there. I'm like, all right, cool. So we get to uh, the day of or the day before, and I realized I, I hadn't got his his home address. So I text. I'm like, oh, yo, what's the address? And he's like, ah, damn. Okay, just meet me here. He's like, I forgot. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Not a big deal. I'll meet you at this place. We must be going to dinner or whatever. So I go to Google what the place is, and it doesn't, the, the address doesn't come up on Google. And Wait, it just doesn't exist? It, it Literally, it doesn't exist. It's 2017, too. And I'm new to L.A., so I don't really know how things work out here. You know what I'm saying? I'm a, I'm a Cleveland, western Pennsylvania, small town kind of guy. And at the building just says it's it's no name. I'm like, okay, that's weird. I'm just going to ride by on the way home from work and check it out. So I rode by, and there was literally no name on the building. It's a dark, nondescript building, and there's nothing on it, and no cars parked out front. There's no windows. Okay, well... He must have like a must be a private you know place that they go to have dinner. Must be cooks and must something that you must know, be really cool. Do. You're thinking this is going to yes. be a new level of cool that I didn't know existed. Uh, that's pretty awesome. So I get there early. I'm like the first one there. Um, so I'm like, all right, Matt will be here any minute. You know, but there's there's workers running around. So I'm like, this is this is crazy. This guy literally has his own restaurant that just stays open for when he's re- when he's hungry. Slowly, 
people start walking in that aren't Mav, right? So now, now there's a bunch of people there. And I'm like, okay, I don't know any of these people. And then so, like a couple celebrities start trickling in. And I'm like, hmm, okay. And everyone's kind of looking over at me like, hmm, who is that guy? Eventually, Mav comes, sits down. He's like, oh, what's up, man? My bad. I had to come to this event. Uh, you know, forgot that, you know, we had our thing, but, you know, wanted to make sure, wanted, wanted to make sure we, we, we uh, spent some time. I'm like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. So they're like, oh, they're like, ding, 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 hit the, hit the, uh, the glass for a toast. I'm like, hey, I'd like to wish happy 30th birthday to Michael B. Jordan. You are, uh, <laughs> ever since you've been a kid, and I'm like, I am, am I at Michael B. Jordan's 30th family birthday party? <laughs> Lo and behold, that's exactly where I was at. So I got home. Keisha was like, how was it? What was it? I'm like, yeah, it was uh, Michael B. Jordan's 30th birthday party. She's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, I'm not kidding, man. I I had like a little momented stone that says, happy birthday, Michael. And she still has it at the house. I don't know if she smells it in the office, but I'm not there. (laughs) Yeah. So what was the restaurant? Or like, was it just like a pop-up restaurant? Or was it a place that's always in existence? I think it's always in existence. Now that I'm in LA, No Name is a place that, you know, you can rent out. People can have events there, but it's like, I think they might do a happy hour sometimes, but it's really, you have to be on the list. You have to be in the know. You have to know like certain people, uh, but it was awesome. It was just a, it was a weird birthday party to crash. So yeah, yeah that's how I crashed Michael B. Jordan's 30th birthday party. Pretty wild. I'm reading this book right now called Burn the Ice by Kevin Alexander, and it's all about the chefy food scene. And there was a uh-huh. place in Portland that I was reading about that sounds pretty similar, where it was like kind of the hidden cool place where all the politicians and like famous yeah. rich people and stuff hung out. And the fact that it was like secret made it even better. So maybe you right. and I should come up with like a secret Cleveland restaurant. Yes. And it can be where all like the cool people hang out, like not us, like Russia cooler than us. We won't be able to go in, but yeah, no, it's cool. Yes, maybe if we paid enough, they would let us in our own restaurant. But <laughs> we're certainly not cool enough. But either way, I think it's time that we start an off-season edition of Tama Headlines. This is a special report from Tama Headlines. All right, Joe, the Cowboys have reportedly offered Dak Prescott a contract that would make him the highest paid player in the league, which includes $105 million in guarantees. Does Dak deserve to be player one when it comes to money, Joe? Absolutely. There's a few things that people need to remember. One, quarterback's the most valuable position in the NFL. And two, when you become a free agent and you've won and played as well as Dak has in his early career, part of his career, you deserve to reset the market. When the salary cap continues to climb every single season, it only makes sense that your proportion of the salary cap that you take up as the franchise quarterback stays the same. But since the salary cap is growing, that means your dollar value, your guaranteed money, your average per year is going to continue to grow and you're going to continue to beat the market. And you know what's going to happen? The next franchise quarterback that hits free agency in the prime of his career that's played well, that's won games, that's done all the right things like Dak has in Dallas is going to reset the bar and then Dak won't be the highest played guy anymore so this is just the way of the world in the NFL when you're a quarterback and you're in the prime of your career you reach free agency you're a franchise guy who's done everything right you're going to reset the market and become the highest paid player in the NFL yeah no I mean I think you hit it all right man especially since he's the Cowboys not even including like the marketability aspect of what he just brings to the star he has an opportunity 
to get paid probably two more times and then transition to the Tony Romo world. Because I feel like Tony Romo is setting a nice little runway for Cowboys quarterbacks because they are America's team, right? That's their their moniker. They have that trademarked. And there are tons of Cowboys fans. And if you look at what the broadcast networks do, they do have an affinity for people that come from the Cowboys for that same reason. So even if you look at Tony Romo, who didn't win anything, right? He was just a good quarterback for them for a while, and he was their guy. And I don't. I'm not saying there's a red carpet laid out for Tony because he, he, you know, he works hard. But 17 million a year to call games that is that is solid. And they, they, they've now created a precedent that I think Dak Prescott, if he plays his card right, if he plays his cards right, regardless of how much he wins, he can also capitalize off of. Well, here's your problem with that. In the TV media business, like you know, there's not quite as many seats as there is in the NFL. No, there's no. 32 starting quarterback seats in the NFL, and there's three or four of those number one color commentary spots in the NFL. And right now, Tony's yeah. the only one that's getting paid buku bucks like that. Peyton Manning might if he takes the money in a football job. Um, but outside of those two guys, you know, Chris Collinsworth is the next guy, but I don't even think he's in that yeah, 10 yeah, plus million. And so, I mean, really? And then the number two guy, he'd be lucky to be making a million. I mean, which is insane money to be talking about football. Let's let's be clear about that. But it's not $17 million a year. So uh, there's only a few positions there. All right, next one. According to Charlie Weiss, Tom Brady texted him and said, nobody knows anything. So anyone who is telling you they know, they don't know. Do we believe Charlie Weiss? I believe that Tom Brady probably texted him and... I also think that there's a chance that Tom Brady wouldn't be telling the whole truth to Charlie Weiss. Not that he really necessarily wants to lie to Charlie Weiss, but I think he understands that for the most part, people understand that Charlie and Tom have a good relationship. And in Tom's mind, he can text Charlie this knowing that it's going to get out because Charlie Weiss has a serious XM radio show that he's going to be on every <laughs> single day during the week. And that Charlie's going to say this. And so that many people are ourselves included on the Tomahawk show. Yep. We'll hear that and say, you know what? That's probably true because Tom and Charlie have a great relationship and Tom would never lie to Charlie. But Tom is justifying it in his mind because he knows that what's best for him and maybe his family and the process that he's going through is to let people on the outside think that any reports are wrong. And so in his mind, even though he might be telling a little bit of a white lie to Charlie Weiss, he can justify it because there's nobody that gets hurt in this situation. I like it. Little white lie never hurt anybody. Little white lie. <laughs> All right. Also, while you're saying that, I don't have a take on, on Charlie Weiss. You have no um, take. No, Great job. While Give you him were a raise. Talking, I I drifted off and started reading more Chuck Norrisisms. Oh, Chuck God. Norris is suing MySpace for taking the name of what he calls everything around you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a R.I.P. mention of MySpace. Thank you very much. Oh man, R.I.P. All right, next one. Two pieces of Browns news here. Christian Kirksey was released by the Browns after the two sides were unable to agree on a renegotiated contract. RIP to the dog check. Hawk, were you surprised by this move? You know, I'm not surprised by it. You know, Christian Kirksey is our guy. We, you know, we were there when he was a rookie in 2014. So got to really see his development as a leader in the locker room and, and really as a football player. Um, but, you know, the, the injury bug hits. And that's a, that's a reality of football is that once you get older in age, it's it's tougher to stay as healthy as you once were. And I don't know if that's a product of you just being out there a lot or it is a fact that your body changes over time, which is what makes your snap count even more remarkable. But, you know, 
for Kirksey, I don't think it's a surprise to him. Um, and I, I don't think it's a bad move by the Browns. Sometimes a new chain of, change of scenery is just necessary. I will say this. Kirksey is one of those players for the Browns who will go down with them as a guy who will always get a beer bought for him no matter what bar he steps in because he is a guy who, you know, kind of ingrained himself in that community. And not just that, man. I mean, he he really, like, he took on the personality of the fans. And I know fans really appreciate that in every market, but especially in Cleveland where they're so passionate about, you know, the guys who put on the orange and brown. I think you hit the nail on the head. Christian Kirksey embodied the passion, the loyalty, the toughness, and the hard work that the people that are Cleveland Browns fans, the people of Northeast Ohio, it perfectly reflected them. And I think that's why he was such a fan favorite. That's why he was a favorite within the locker room. He always brightened up everybody's day when you walked into the meeting room and you saw him in the midst of the misery of Owen Owen 16 and Mm. 1 and 15. Kirksey always walked in with his briefcase and his hard hat with that business-like professionalism. And I think... I really hope that if his career is over in Cleveland, which it looks like they're not going to re-sign him for a lower contract since they've released him, um, I hope that he has planted the seeds of professionalism in a lot of those guys in those defensive meeting rooms where they saw how he went about his business and how he conducted himself, how he Mm -hmm. put himself forward as a leader, a leader of men, a leader of those people in that locker room. And he treated everybody in that building, including the smallest and most insignificant people in some people's eyes, with the ultimate amount of respect. That's how you gain respect and you become a true leader. That's who Christian Kirksey was on top of being a great player. He will be sorely missed by the Mm -hmm. fans and the players in that organization. Absolutely. All right, we got some more Browns news. Browns center J.C. Treader was elected as a new president of the NFLPA, and Alex Mack was elected treasurer. Oh! How about, how about Browns just running all of football from every aspect? This is crazy, huh? Uh, to nobody's surprise, the Cleveland Browns are taking over because nobody has endured hardship and hard yeah. times like us, which makes us better, toughened, hardened What will be the name of your book, Joe? The Joe Thomas book. When you write a book, what's going to be the name? Why Losing is Overrated. <laughs> you should, I got one for you. Okay. Don't be afraid to lose. And then it's you on the cover, like with your hands under your chin, you know, that very serious look. Oh, yeah. And it Don't talks about taking lose. chances in life and, you know, going for broke and not Ooh. being afraid to start a, to leave a legacy. Yeah. You got to play into that fact, Joe. You can write my forward yeah. and talk about how this re- right. book is super average and you wouldn't buy it yes. unless you wouldn't <laughs> read it unless somebody gave it to you for free. But back oh, to JC Treader, I think he's a great choice for. Uh, NFLPA president. He went to Cornell, which I think makes I, him smart because I've like heard Ivy that League the guys. Ivy League is is kind of like they call it the Wisconsin <laughs> of the East Coast. Uh, Do but, uh, but he actually was a industrial labor relations major at Cornell, mm. which is exactly I mean, what you are as a NFL union president. Decent. So. Uh, I think that just makes him perfect. <laughs> and he follows in a long line of offensive linemen that have served as NFL PA presidents going back to Kevin Mawai when I was there. And then mm-hmm. um, Winston, Eric Winston, who's just yep. finishing up his time right now as the NFL PA president. And even before yeah. him, Gene Upshaw, who was the executive director when I first got into the NFL um, Hall of Fame offensive lineman, Hall of Fame offensive lineman from the Raiders. And I believe he was the NFLPA president many, many years before. So 
Uh, offensive lineman clearly making a statement as the smartest men in the room once again. Yeah, no, for sure. They don't have uh, to worry about their good looks, so why not read a book? <laughs> Uh, I, I, we won't go down that one, but when you're ugly and fat like offensive lineman, you got to work on the other aspects right. of your life. Your you can't just walk into a room and smile. You got to have a good yep. personality and a good brain. And be good at labor relations. <laughs> really good at labor relations as an offensive lineman. Uh, the industrial side of it, yeah. at least. Oh, man. All right, man. I think it's time to call our guy Emmanuel Acho for a little CBA update. Yeah. Ah, uh, what's good, gentlemen? Not much, man. What you up to? Ah, uh, another day in New York, man. Dodging Corona. Hey, man. Good luck. I was there last week. Are you scared of the coronavirus, EA? We're going to get right to it, man. Are you scared of the coronavirus? <laughs> <laughs> I am. Uh, I'm not, dude. I am a young, healthy, thriving individual who is who has no fear right now. As I drink a bottle of water and vitamin C. <laughs> Is there any truth that uh, coronavirus cannot affect uh, pure African blood? <laughs> I am not buying into that hype because okay. I am not going to be the one. I'm not going to be the African to find out that this was a lie. <laughs> You're not going to test it. All right. We appreciate you joining us here on the Tomahawk Show. Emmanuel Acho, ESPN analyst, TV media extraordinaire, one of the rising stars on all things sports, also former NFL linebacker, including with the Cleveland Browns. Man, a lot of talk is going on with the CBA, EA, and I, I didn't, I didn't exactly watch all the interviews. I did walk by the TV and I seen you and your brother on the television, looking like twins. Um, but didn't <laughs> Sam, so Sam ran for president of uh, the NFLPA, correct? Correct. He actually didn't win, um, but it turned out that he was in full support. I think it was a Cleveland Brown Center. Correct me if I'm wrong, Joe. Um, yeah, J.C. Treader. It, it just got elected president. Yes, J.C. Treader. My brother was like, dude, this dude was literally born to be the PA president. Um, so I guess <laughs> Cornell agree literally in like labor negotiations. So, uh, yes, my brother, though, did get again uh, elected to the executive committee. Now, so, you, you, so your brother came out, and I did see the video you posted about your brother – being in favor of uh, the new CBA agreement. Talk through, like, from your perspective, I mean, you're obviously the media guy, too, and a former player and have read through a lot of the points of why you think it was a favorable deal because there's been, there's been players on literally every point of the spectrum. You're exactly right. Uh, to me, it's a favorable deal because it appeases the vast majority of NFL players. Now, um, if you and, and, and Joe sit at this desk, Y'all literally would be on opposing sides of this deal, if I remember both of y'all's careers correctly. That being, um, it doesn't appeal to the superstar player. And it doesn't appeal to the superstar player because there are deals like the tender, being um, franchise tagged. That sucks. We acknowledge and I acknowledge that that stuff sucks. The fifth-year option for first-round picks, that sucks. I acknowledge that that sucks. That's not a good deal not at all however there are only 32 first round picks annually only roughly five percent of players get tagged or tendered so although it does suck there are aspects of deals any deal which will suck and it just affects the minority now mm. when you look at the benefits you're talking about 
increased wages, increased minimum salaries, $100,000, which would kick into effect immediately um, as soon as the deal is ratified. Um, that's a benefit. You're looking at a larger percentage of revenue. That would kick in immediately. That's the benefit. And so I am simply looking at what deal serves the greater good, and the current deal serves the greater good. But I'll, I'll, I'll kind of couch everything with this. Is the deal perfect? By no means. The only way to get the deal to be better is if the players could successfully strike. If the players could successfully stop work and strike. But I don't think NFL players can successfully strike. Therefore, to me, the current deal is a good deal. The question that I have is not that are, is this new CBA making their contracts and their work conditions better, but is it making it better enough? Have we done enough with the CBA? Have we exhausted all of our leverage against the owners by giving them a 17th game and some other concessions? Have we extracted the most out of them? And I think when a lot of people look at this, they're saying the 17th game was the biggest chip that we had on the table because the owners mm-hmm. don't have to mm-hmm. give up a single thing to have a 17th game. It's nothing for them. They could schedule 30 games and it doesn't affect them one bit, except it makes them way more money. But you know who it does affect? It affects the health and wellness of the players, which we're understanding has some very, very significant long-term uh, negative effects on our health and wellness by playing more football, more practice, more games. And the more games that you add has an incrementally negative approach, in my opinion, in the season. Because at the end of the season where you're already beat down, you're already more susceptible to more long-term injuries. So adding more games on top of that is a cumulative effect. And so by giving them that chip, have we gotten enough in return? Did we get enough out of it? And what's your take on that? Great question. My answer to that is no, the players did not. Uh, You're exactly right when you say the 17th game was the biggest, most colossal chip the NFL players had in their pocket. If anybody's familiar with the game of spades, it was the big joker. Um, Like it was the trip card. Um, And the players, to my knowledge, didn't necessarily utilize that correctly. But here's the problem. The problem lies in the fact that it appears to me that this deal was negotiated. The terms of the majority of this deal was negotiated throughout the course of the season while these players were playing. It was negotiated by the reps of the NFLPA, by uh, D. Smith, etc. So now that the season is over and all the players meet in Indy and come to the table, this deal, the, 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 the bone structure of the deal has already been negotiated. And so the owners are like, wait a second, we already done talked about 47%. Ain't no way we coming up to 50 now that you're here, Sherman, or Rogers, or Sam Macho, or Russell Wilson. And that, to me, Joe, is where the disconnect lies. You feel me? It's the fact that the, the owners already had the leg up before the players actually ever got to the table. So, no, by no means is this deal, in my opinion, the best deal the players could have got, but it's where you are right now. And the fact of the matter is you have a deal on the table that is a better deal than where you were. I hate the fact that it's 10 years and I would have bargained for lesser, but you have a deal on the table that's better than where you were. What's your alternative? Because if you ain't got a better alternative, you sure as heck better sign and live to fight another day. 
Yeah, I, th- I think that's kind of where I am on this process too. And like, like I mentioned, I'm more on the NFL side of it now. I work for NFL Network and I'm not getting a paycheck from the teams to play in the NFL anymore, but I'm trying to put myself in a player's position and I'm going to say the same thing you did. Like I feel that the players are not getting enough for giving up a 17th game and they should push for more. And I agree that that more should go to those players that are the minimum salary guys, the 99% mm-hmm. in the NFL. Um, but the question is right now, what's the rush? And maybe the fear right now from a player's standpoint is if they turn this down, what does that mean? And I think that kind of highlights something that you said about the process and a lot of players feeling like the union and the people running the union during this negotiation process uh, maybe didn't do a very good job of getting enough for that 17th game chip. And on top of that, they didn't do a very good job of communicating what they were negotiating for until they get to this point where it's almost the point of no return. So with that being said, do you see that the union leadership is going to be continuing in the same way as it has been moving forward after this vote, whether they voted yes or no? Oh, dude, that's my biggest frustration with this whole thing. How the heck? How in the world can the players, the union, collectively fight the owners when they're fighting each other? Russell O'Kong, he was up for president before withdrawing his name the day of the voting process. He was up for player president. Dude is suing the NFLPA. Now, I'm not necessarily mad at him for a lawsuit if he feels as if they did, um, you know, violate their rights or violate an agreement. I'm not mad at him necessarily for a lawsuit. But I'm mad at him for the timing of the lawsuit, given the optics. Like, how in the world can players who are supposed to be banding together to go against these 32 owners, how can they succeed when they're beefing amongst themselves and their governing body, which is the union? Secondly, my brother made a great point, gentlemen, and he said, hey, bro, he said, you know, what did the executive committee vote to pass this? And I said, well, they voted six to five, if I'm not mistaken, the first time stating no. He said, okay, what did the players reps vote when it finally approved? I said, well, they voted 17 to 14 yes and one abstained. He then asked me the most poignant question of them all. He said, what did the owners vote? I paused for a second and I said, well, I don't know. He said, exactly, because it hasn't leaked from their side. He said, we, us 32 reps and 11 executive committee, we can't even keep something quiet for a day or two, and you actually have no idea what the owners are thinking. So my problem, Hawk and Joe, is it like, if the, the, the players are too busy fighting less important battles to really fight the one that is the most important, that's what scares me about the union of the NFL players itself. So what, what scares me about it, in, um, and you know, my brother played in the league, what, 10 years prior to me getting there and then I played 10 years and I come from a family of no, no BS 10 plus NFL football players. So these are conversations that I've heard since I was a kid and like, you know, and a lot of it resets and I'm not saying that we're experts on it by any stretch of the imagination. No, but you're completely right about the exchange of, of communication between the PA because I feel like a lot of players feel like, a, they're not being represented. Like when you talked about this and Sam talked about it, oh, the little guy wins here. I don't always agree with that because I don't think we're thinking long term enough. Even in the minimum salaries, it's going to take three years for that to go into effect. And what the owners have done, and if you think about this kind of like a a, a 30,000 foot view, the owners who where we had a, a, a 
pretty solid deal in 2006. They ripped it up and they ma- they forced us basically we folded to agree to the new CBA to where now we feel like just because it's better than the last one, it's a good deal. And that is not the case because they've added a 17th game for basically half of what they took away in the last deal. That alone doesn't make it make sense. And then beyond that, like practice squad salaries are fixed. I was a practice squad guy. I came into the practice squad. And if you can show that you have the ability, if a team says we want to keep you, and we're going to pay you regular money. They should be able to do that. In this new CBA, they're not able to do that. 32 players negotiated more than the practice Let squad. Let me ask a year you this, Hawk. Yeah, give it to me. Let me ask you this, because this is, uh, while I agree with you, I've had to challenge myself in this line of thought. Uh-huh. Nowhere in history, and I'm not just talking about sports, I'm talking now about the entirety and totality of American history, does a group which has been previously kind of uh, underprivileged and has been previously uh, gotten less than they deserve or been lesser valued, been able to jump from nothingness to getting mm-hmm. everything they want. That just doesn't happen in society. Like groups that have been belittled don't go from being the bottom of the totem pole to all of a sudden the top of the totem pole. So now while I agree with you and while I think players should get more and they should get if not 49.9%. I just don't know that that's realistic. We were, though. I don't know that That, I guess that's my point. It's it's not like we've never seen that before, EA. They were getting that and for less work. And as a a union, that should have been something we stood on. So it's not like I'm going, I want us to go to uncharted territories. Again, when I was coming into the draft, that was the CBA was under. What's that? A 50-50 split? Yeah. Yeah, the forty nine, like the forty eight point eight point five, I think is less than what the two thousand and six CBA is. So, to my knowledge, and again, without getting into the hairs of things, to where we we kind of lose the appetite for it. To my knowledge, it was a higher percentage, but of a lower growth percentage, meaning it wasn't a full hundred percent that the players were getting forty nine percent of. I think some of the rights and some of the revenue was excluded. Yeah, no, and that's still this bucket is the same way. It's not like there's always going to be that. I guess my entire point is regardless of of whether you're the the top guy or the bottom guy, what the NFL has been able to do is, and this is a precedent you are setting by continuing to agree to these deals. Every time it starts inching up and it gets to a point where they're saying, okay, reset it. They rip it up. They're going to force you to do it again because they've shown every the last two CBAs that they have the ability to do so because you don't want to miss any dollars. You don't want to mix any any salary, they'll rip it up and just keep resetting you. And in that setting, you will keep hitting a ceiling and they will say, hey, rip it up again. Add another game. Rip it up and take them back down to 47 and then we'll go to 18 games. So they're not giving us anything extra. They're getting extra, but taking less away from us. And that's bad negotiation. the, The problem then is the players have one thing left they can do, and that is strike. Right, like based on what you're saying, the players have one final choice, and that is strike. But y'all two gentlemen on the other end of this call know just as good and god dang well as I do. The players will not win a strike, and And not because of Joe Thomas's and Andrew Hawkins's and Emmanuel Acho's, but there are a larger group of players who can't do it. So and here's, strike to win a strike. So here's a so so and, and and that's a good segue to the next point because you're right that you should be 
um, understanding that the strike is, is not likely, even for fans listening. Like, I don't think there's going to be work stoppage. I don't think we're going to miss games. My whole thing was at least wait to the last minute. Don't let them push you early on. <laughs> like, at least at least act like you're, you're going to do it. So let me tell you, let me ask you, Emmanuel, do you think this vote, if they do vote no this week, do you think there will be a work stoppage in 2021? I do. I do. I've said that I said this a month ago and got ripped when I said it on Golik and Wingo morning show on ESPN. I got ripped when I said there would be a work stoppage. It's looking more likely now than ever. He, the only way it doesn't happen, gentlemen, the only way is if the owners are like, look, man, we're going to let y'all vote on this deal again because we want this deal done before TV rights. That's the only way. Like, and I think Richard Sherman, um, he's under the belief that the owners are bluffing. I am not under the belief that the owners are bluffing. But if the owners, unless the owners are bluffing, I guarantee y'all, man, there will be a work stoppage. Because I think that the players believe they can win set strike. I think videos like uh, Pouncey Twin gone viral saying, I got y'all. We'll look out for y'all. Y'all can stay at my house. I think some of the players might actually believe that. And the fact of the matter is, there's not enough couch space. There's not enough basements to be slept on and slept in. So I think the players are going to try, if this doesn't pass, to strike or some sort of work stoppage. And unfortunately, it's just not realistic, man. You've got millionaires or 100,000 heirs fighting billionaires. Mm. Well, well, it's definitely uh, a lot of interest for us as former players and the fans are tuning in and they're interested because they don't want to see the NFL stop. But uh, we appreciate you for your time that you've given us. But the last thing I want to ask is for our listeners, for the average NFL fan, what should they be paying attention to as the NFL puts this possible CBA to a vote? And if it gets turned down, What's the next step in the process and where does this potentially lead the players? For NFL fans, this is huge. I know they might not care about the nuances, but if the CBA does not pass, football may stop for a period in 2021. I do not know how long that period will be, but football may stop for a period. So this affects the fans just like it affects the players. Secondly, if the CBA doesn't pass, I think things get real interesting. It affects the fans for teams like the Cowboys because now you can use two tags and tag Dak and tag Amari. So there's some little things, but the overarching theme, gentlemen, is if this CBA doesn't pass, everybody needs to prepare for a work stoppage, period. Mm, that's that's real. Hopefully all the NFL players out there are listening. And the big thing in the last time we had the CBA was trying to make sure that players were saving their money in case of a work stoppage so that we could outlast the owners, which of course we know is not going to happen because it doesn't matter how many millions (laughs) the players make. The owners have got a big B in front of their names and you just can't outlast a guy like a, like a group of owners that have billions and billions in their war chest. So EA, we know your time is extremely valuable. We really appreciate Mm. you coming on and breaking down the CBA for us. We'll see what happens, but it's definitely an interesting time in the NFL, especially in the collective bargaining world. Appreciate you, EA. Gentlemen, a pleasure. Talk soon.
right, shout out to Emmanuel Acho, man. Appreciate him joining us on the Tomahawk Show. Always super intelligent takes and approaches every headline from a very unique angle, which is just hard to do in media because you hear the same stuff over and over and over again. So like I said, appreciate him joining us. Uh, I think it's time now for Explain Yourself. Please rise. Part of my session. Explain myself. Explain yourself. Time for another famous edition of Explain Yourself. All right, John, let's get us started. Andrew Hawkins tweeted, Mm. I think you only get coronavirus if you put your bare feet on stuff on airplanes. Yeah, oh, that was... Explain yourself. So every once in a while, I just jump to the Twitter machine, you know, and just drop <laughs> drop a tweet. I was on a plane, and I was looking at somebody with their feet up on the seat in front of them. Ugh. And I thought to myself, I would be completely okay if the corona enters through feet, and that person <laughs> leaves this plane and goes right into quarantine. So hang on a second. This person had their shoes on or shoes off? Shoes off. Exit bare row. feet. Bare putting feet. their feet on feet the seat in on front of them. Feet in front of them. Oh, that's a problem. And the first thing I thought was, I hope you get the disease. I hope you, I hope you <laughs> die of the coronavirus. Wow. I hope you are a horrible person. Upon you. I don't want them to die. I just want them to learn a lesson of stop putting your bare feet on stuff. Man or woman? It was a woman. I've noticed a lot of women fly in sandals and mm-hmm. they have to take their yep. shoes off for I I can't imagine taking my shoes off in an airport or on an airplane. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I've taken my shoes uh, off. On the yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Airfoot. I do that. Yeah, all the time. It's whatever. But I mean, I don't. Just, I don't put my feet on things though. No socks. I have like my bag underneath my foot. I'll go no socks. But I'm I'm with you, Hawk. Though, like, I'm not afraid to take my socks off on yeah. an airplane. They're gonna be dirty. But I'm not gonna put my feet in my bed right. then, or I'm not gonna put my feet up anywhere else. I'm gonna go wash them off, or I'm gonna take and a shower mention, wherever I get taking, to where I'm going. You taking your shoes off and putting them on the floor. If you want to put yourself in danger, that's on you. I don't mind that. That's fine. When you start putting your feet on other shit <laughs> that other people have to come in contact with, that's when I got a problem. All right? That's that might be I think that's like the fourth time I've used the S word in case my mom is listening to the yeah. the birthday in episode of Tomahawk show. Yeah. But I here's the point. If you're wearing sandals or flip-flops, you're basically wearing bare feet. You're just protecting yourself from like any sharp objects. It's not like yeah. there's any germs that magically are being protected by wearing a sandal that you wouldn't get if you were just bare feet. So it's just a matter of like comfort at that point. So if you're not afraid of the germ exposure by wearing sandals or flip flops, yeah. then you shouldn't be afraid of germ exposure that would be caused by just wearing bare feet. I, don't, I feel like we haven't talked about the coronavirus enough on this episode, so we'll probably nah. get to that at some point. Nah, I'm so Go sick ahead, of the coronavirus. Speaking of airplanes, Joe Thomas tweeted, on airplanes, I follow the strict rule of no kids equals no problem. Joe Thomas, explain yourself. Yeah, yeah. please do. You Flying kid pre-kids hater. was a nightmare, and you dreaded it, and it was never fun at all, but once you deal with the insanity of a bunch of little kids on a daily basis and the stress and the amount of energy you expend just trying to keep them from killing each other and themselves. <laughs> if you get some quiet time, no matter how small that little box is that they shove you into on an airplane seat, you don't really care. And you're just enjoying the peace and quiet and the fact that you don't have to jump up and yell and break up a fight. Yeah, no, I agree. It is, it is, it is like a, a hum away from home on an airplane. I still don't know how airplanes work. I feel like I'm a smart guy and I can figure a lot of things out. That's like one of those things that I just never understand. I look up every time and I think to myself, how? You know? I'm not an aerospace guy, though, so whatever. All right, we got next, John. 
Last weekend, Andrew Hawkins tweeted, earn not given, Cleveland, we did it in L.A. <laughs> For those that didn't see this, Hawk was live tweeting his son's championship basketball game, and they won. Hawk, explain yourself. Yeah, man. So my son had a, a basketball game, and he was stressed about it, like, all week. So I, I flew home early from the Combine to be at my son's championship game, um, and he has, like, five wristbands on. He wears rec specs. Um, like and he had a he, his first game in rec specs he bought out so he doesn't take them off now so even like outside the court he has rec specs on all day. Um, he said he couldn't sleep. He was up at like five thirty a.m. that morning because he was like, "Yo, I'm so I'm nervous. I'm like I'm too antsy." He has like a Cleveland Browns wristband he wears. He's like, "I'm, I'm gonna wear this so I can bring a championship home to Cleveland." <laughs> he's being he's being dead serious. That's awesome. Like I know you know Tuggett. I am not kidding at all. He he sleeps on Browns blankets pillows he sleeps with a football rares a Cleveland Browns wristband probably four out of the seven days of the week and then he went in the game man he balled out and they brought they got a really cool trophy for a kid to win it looks like an NBA trophy it looks but, exactly like a yeah they brought home the shit dude. NBA trophy that you spray yes. painted in your garage <laughs> exactly my favorite part of your live tweeting and Instagramming is when you took him to the wrong gym yeah, that's a dad <laughs> moment and you know I, I do everything last minute too so if I if so, I gotta be somewhere at, at six p.m. I'm, I show up at 5.58 and a half. So we got to the gym like literally four minutes before the game started and we were at the wrong gym. So I had to drive him, which is like another nine-minute drive. But it's all right. We made it. We made so it. was he the star of the game? Was he the MVP? Did he ball out? He's a really good basketball player for his age because he's a, not because he's like just he's athletic. Not because he's tall. You wanted to say that. Reasons. Not because he's tall. Not because he's, he's not. the tallest. He's my but son. he actually is the tallest in this league. What? Weird. What is it? Yeah. This is impossible. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but he's one of the taller seven, eight-year-olds. Um, but it's a seventh-grade, le- seven-year-old league, but he's good because he passes. So, like, he, like, prides himself on passes. He thinks that's the coolest part of LeBron's game. So everyone around him who might not be as athletic as he is, like, at this age yet, everybody gets involved because he could easily come down and shoot every time. But he, like, he'll stop in the middle of the game like, Dad, how many assists do I have? You know, and I let him count it if like someone has an open shot, even they miss it. I'm like 11. I'm gonna try to get 30. So like the whole game, he's just trying to dish it to people so everyone else can shoot. So everyone just loves playing with him. Like the parents love him, and he, you know, he just prides himself. Like assists are like points to him. Like he doesn't even like value points. It's very weird. 30 assists in a league where the final score is probably 18. To 15. <laughs> yeah, 12 to <laughs> eight. You know, but creative math. On February 19th, Andrew Siciliano friend of the podcast, yeah. Siciliano tweeted, I'm convinced Joe Thomas, Willie McGinnis, and the 10-win 2007 Browns would have won the Super Bowl as the number seven seed in the AFC under this proposed new playoff format. Where Joe Thomas, quote, tweeted, I second this genius opinion. Joe, explain yourself. Well, Andrew Siciliano is a friend of the show. He's been on the podcast. He's a very, very well-respected. Some of the most well-respected opinions in the NFL come from Andrew Siciliano, and it's hard for me to put down the fact that when the Browns were locked out of the playoffs in 2017 by uh, erroneous accounting errors, uh, we were on a roll, <laughs> and I feel like we would have been that team that could go all the way from wild card and, and win a Super Bowl. There was nothing holding us back. We had Derek Anderson, Pro Bowl alternate quarterback. We had Braylon mm, Edwards at receiver. Kellen Winslow <laughs> at tight end. Uh, <laughs> cast of characters, including Jamal Lewis rushing at uh, running back. I think he had like 1,200 yards that season. We had a solid offensive line, a good defense. There was nothing that was holding us back. So, uh, yeah, I, I like that take. I thought, I thought uh, if nothing else, the excitement 
of my career and the only winning season that I had should be uh, <laughs> highlighted in, in a tweet. You you guys were riding high after that season. Yeah, buddy. we won that Super Bowl deep into the offseason. Dude, I because I, that was the year I went and tried it. Like, so that offseason is where I had the rookie minicamp mm. to be at the Browns. And I'm not – I mean, you would have thought that they did win the Super Bowl with the way they were talking, man. Oh, man. This is in response to Ben Barch's smoothie that he shared with Colleen Wolf. Joe, if you add sugar to any smoothie, it tastes good. Explain yourself. So what a smoothie does is it takes out the repelling and repulsive texture of certain foods and just blends it all together. And if you add sugar on top of the nice creamy smoothiness of a sugar, it's going to taste good. It doesn't really matter okay. what you put in there because you've neutralized all the negative effects of the food that you're eating if you don't like the texture or some of the maybe tartness or maybe some of the bitterness of the food. You blend it all together and you throw enough sugar on there. It's what I call the jungle juice doctrine, right? When you were in college, everybody went to that house party, right? And they had a big bathtub of like Kool-Aid looking stuff. Yeah, and it was pure grain alcohol with enough sugar to cover up the taste and get everybody drunk on a very, very few amount of dollars. <laughs> So basically, Colleen and Ben were experimenting on another leg of the <laughs> jungle juice doctrine. Hey, so I'm going to call you on that because I'm going to make a, a smoothie when we get together and okay. I'm going to put sugar in it. I, I want to make sure I want you to prove that your theory is correct. Here's the problem. I don't eat sugar. I'm uh, keto. Uh -huh. That's my excuse. But I, 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 uh -huh. I, I, I certainly make plenty of exceptions, but uh, I'm afraid that. I'm going to have some things that are not food products if I agree to drink a smoothie from you. <laughs> so, hey, how about this? Here's the agreement. I will drink whatever smoothie you make as long as they're all food items. Okay. All right. But I don't want to drink the whole thing. So maybe give me like eight ounces. Yeah, I can drink one cup. Bit. It's going to taste so bad you won't be able to drink the whole thing anyway. All right. Perfect. I, I, I take that challenge. But don't put sure. so much sugar that I die of diabetes. I won't put a lot of sugar. I'm just going to put a lot of ridiculous if, foods. And I feel like I'll eat it. In it. Like I the worst taste, like, like chitlins. Have you ever had chitlins, Joe? Yeah, it's like a stomach. It's no problem. That's easy. Pig intestines. Yeah, pig pig stomach intestines. So you had it before? I, I'm going to tell you, the, the three worst things that I've ever eaten in my life, and so I overcame this, and I think I can overcome your chitlins. Uh, <laughs> when I was in Tokyo, we had a sushi breakfast, which included raw chicken and sea urchin eggs, sea urchin oh, roe. Awesome. They, they were terrible. And then the worst thing I ever had was a raw goose-livered pate when I was on my honeymoon in Switzerland. Oh. It was at this French restaurant that was included, uh, like the dinner was included with the, when you stayed at the hotel. And so when my wife and I travel, we like to try new foods because we're disgusting. And so we <laughs> promised each other we had to try one of each of the prefix menu courses. And one of the pre-appetizer-type like, courses was goose-livered pâtéed but it wasn't cooked or anything. They just took a goose liver, threw it in a blender, and then put it into a little mold and put it on your plate with some crackers. It was horrible. That's basically what I'm going to try to make you. But I feel like Google I overcame the, that so I can overcome the yeah. Hawkins smoothie. I'm going to Google the 10 worst tasting foods <laughs> known to man, and I'm going to put them in a smoothie. Uh, hey, done. No problem. I'll have a <laughs> smile on my face. Hey, is, I'm going to wash it down with a Joe Thomas 73 Kolsch beer chaser. <laughs> All right, we got next, John. Last one. Pablo S. Torre tweeted, Charles Barkley's career is a profound human lesson. He never won any rings, but I'm always struck by how much happier he is than pretty much all the guys who did. Quote tweet by Andrew Hawkins, <laughs> ditto for Joe Thomas. Yeah, explain Hawkins, yourself. Explain because yourself. 
You, I had nothing to do with this, and you had to re- run my good name through the mud. <laughs> no, I'm saying that if you look, I, we know a lot of these guys who are Super Bowl champions, and they have these rings, and and there, there's always, like, they're still chasing something. Like, they feel like that since they got that, they should deserve a certain amount of relevance forever. And then you look at the Joe Thomas, who is just everybody's favorite football player and broadcaster and because he just enjoys life and he is so content with what has happened and transpired over his career you just come across just way happier than the rest of them and it shines through in the content and people get upset that you continue to get these amazing opportunities but it's for that same reason people just identify with your personality because you're just a happy guy joe that is me explaining Hawk Self. That's a that's an explain Hawk Self that I can appreciate. That you can get behind. I can get behind that one. I'll co-sign. But no, th- I think that's a great tweet from Pablo Astori because it is a human lesson. Like those guys that think that, oh, all I need to do in my life is win the Super Bowl and then that will give me right. like this fleeting happiness. Like that's the accomplishment that I need to check off the list and then I'm going to find happiness. And they realize that, you know, when you win one, then what do you want? You want to win another one, right? And then yep. when you win five, like Tom Brady, you want to win a sixth. When you win the sixth, you go somewhere else in free agency to try to yeah. win a seventh because you, if you're always chasing something that you think like an accomplishment will give you that happiness, you're always going to be wrong because you've forgotten that happiness is from the journey. It's not from mm. getting to any certain destination. And I think guys like myself and Charles Barkley, who never won a ring, realize that it's about the journey and the adventure and the people and the personalities and everything that you do along the way that gives you the happiness. It's not about checking some goal off the list, Uh, but that's also what losers like me and Charles Barkley say. (laughs) I hope we play the Titanic music over the top of that. I think (laughs) it would just flow really nice over that. Perfect. Yeah, that was that was incredible. All right, well, I think we've done all the explaining we need to do for this episode. It's my birthday. I am trying to get a drink. Let's knock this out so I can leave. Let's go on now to Grade the Take. Grade the Take. Grade the Take. (laughs) Oh, man. Flawless as usual. Those drops are the best. Put another loop on Can we drop that one more time, Chris? Drop it one more time because that might be my favorite one. Grade the Take. Grade the Take. (laughs) <laughs> we might have to make a whole song out of that. All right. Producer John is going to read a take from the Takeosphere, and we are going to basically give it a grade of whether we think it's great, and by great, if it, you know, makes Joe look dumb, and or if it is terrible, which means that anybody who says that I wasn't the best receiver in AFC North history would obviously get a bad take grade. All right. John, kick us off. After saying that he would not play any games that weren't in front of fans. LeBron James walked it back earlier today and said he would listen to the NBA if they banned fans over coronavirus and said he would be, quote, very disappointed if he had to play NBA games with no fans. Hawk, grade the take. Um, You know what? I am going to go on the opposite end, and I'm going to say that is a D take from uh, the guy who signs my checks because I actually don't mind. I feel like it would be less pressure for for a guy like me to play in the game. Now, jo- now Joe, who is top billing, and he only comes when the fans are there cheering his name on. For me, my favorite time of training camp mm-hmm. is when the fans are no longer there, and it's just like that first practice, it feels empty because everyone's cut, 
and the fans aren't there and it's like all the pressure is like now gone away. So I actually, I, would, I wouldn't mind playing in an empty stadium. I know fans are going to be like, fuck, oh, you sucked anyway. I don't care. <laughs> but that is, that is my legit take. Joe? Hawk, you sucked anyway, but <laughs> I would give his disappointment take a solid C because, you know what, I can appreciate a little grandstanding just as much as the next guy, and I think that's what LeBron was doing, you know, kind of feeding off of his fans' passion. Oh, I play for the fans. But can you imagine if the NBA canceled games because they were forced to? This coronavirus thing, it's pretty serious, and obviously uh, it's important for the health of NBA fans and the health mm-hmm. of the country to be able to do what's right. Can you imagine if fans were not allowed into the arena and then on top of that, they couldn't watch LeBron James at home on TV because he just refused to play altogether? So I think cooler heads will prevail and LeBron will say, look, fans can't go and watch me in person, but their ability to watch the game still give them enjoyment out of playing the game of basketball. It still leads me on this path to trying to win an NBA championship. And so while this is not the best option, it still makes sense that even though fans aren't coming to play these games because they're going to be sitting at home watching me and they're going to probably enjoy it just as much. Yeah. If there's anything that there's any two people that remind me of LeBron James, it's me and you for sure. I was going to say, if you put us together, we'd basically be LeBron. So yes, we are LeBron. We are LeBron. We should change the name of the podcast. I'm six, seven. I know. And I'm black. All right. What's next, John? <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> Chris Long, speaking on the alleged new Rams logo, tweeted, quote, I used to feel like Jack Youngblood when we put on the yellow and royal blue. This logo would make me feel like I'm playing double A ball. Mm. Joe, grade the take. Uh, That's an A-plus take from friend of the show Chris Long because the first thing that I thought when I saw that was, oh, this is a logo for the Milwaukee Wave, (laughs) which was the indoor soccer team that played in Milwaukee for like 30 years because it looks exactly like a wave. It has nothing to do with the Rams, and I really don't understand why they would want to update the logo. I think the Rams had one of the great logos in the NFL. They've been a classic team for a long time with a great history, and I think tradition is important, and you see the best teams in the NFL with the coolest logos are the ones that have been around the longest. They're time-tested. You stick with those. If you want some alternate logos to sell a few more caps, that's great. But let's not outright change the logo to the LA Wave. That just looks silly. A-plus take by Chris Long. Hmm, I'm going to grade it, and I'm going to give it a... I'm going to give it a B. I'm going to give it a B. Because the business side of it is, oh. yeah, that now everyone has to go buy new hats. Right? Everyone has to buy new jerseys. Everyone has to buy new t-shirts. And then what do you do in five years when the contract's up? You switch it back. Buy more. Boom. And then they (laughs) do it all over again. So I do agree with what Chris said. But on the other side of it, it's going to make money. You know? Boom. Nobody's buying that crap. (laughs) First of all, (laughs) first of all, there's not a lot of LA anything fans in LA (laughs) of the NFL team. And on top of that, that's an ugly ass logo. It it does look like a clip art logo. Um, They, yeah, they didn't put a lot of effort into that, but they did. They tried. I guess you study long, you study wrong. They tried too hard. It's like us, Hawk. They just tried too hard. The LeBron Tomahawk podcast. We try too hard. We got some good submissions on Twitter. (laughs) Or I'm sorry, we got some good submissions on Instagram. DJ Mo 16 writes, Joe Burrow is overrated and he's the next Josh Rosen. Hawk, mm, grade the take. That's an F take. <laughs> I'm all in on Joe Burrow. I mean, I, I met the guy once and he sold me. I'm like, you know what, kid? You're going to make it. So that's the only thing I'm basing this off of. No tape, no, you know, having broke down whether he knows how to read defenses. Just strictly, he shook my hand. He looked me in the eye. 
And he gave me a little smirk. And I'm like, you know what? You have a high social intelligence, kid. Boom. <laughs> Super Bowl. Hawk is an easy guy to win over. All you got to do is say one nice thing about him, and then he'll go on TV for the next 10 years and talk about how you're the greatest football player of all time. Which brings me to my next point. You can buy his allegiance. <laughs> Easily. Yeah, you can definitely buy my allegiance for sure. He's, he's going to be a great oh, politician man, someday. Wait. Me and J.C. Treader. Next take, guys. DJ Fry. We got two DJs on the show today, oh, wow. including DJ I mean, dude, Chris. That makes three. It's Chris, if you count DJ, and that <laughs> fire he just dropped a minute ago. DJ Fry, twenty-five on IG. Baker and Odell won't be on the same team together in two thousand twenty-one. Joe, grade the take. I would say that's a D take. There's a chance that Odell gets dealt, but I think more than not, what Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry are looking at is. Whew, Baker Mayfield, this guy, he didn't have a very good year last year, but he didn't have great coaching around him. He didn't exactly have a great structure, but we feel that the Kevin Stefanski offense, which features bootlegs and uh, rollouts and wide zone, combination with Odell Beckham's ability to run down the field, huge uh, home run type routes, is a perfect recipe for playoffs and great success on offense and so they want to at least give this experiment one year in the Kevin Stefanski system and I do not see them getting rid of Odell for anything less than a ridiculous amount that nobody would be willing to pay. All right, what's next John? Last one guys because we're becoming the official podcast of steak DJ Masaro 310 on IG writes filet mignon's appeal is entirely a status thing not a taste thing ribeye or die Joe grade the take. Mm. Um, He's going to have it. While I'm... Okay. This is, Hang this on. Is, Stop interrupting me. You've just struck a chord of the passion. You, the juices on, real are quick, flowing before through Joe my goes off. Right Shut up! Shut up, Hawk! It's my turn to talk! <laughs> you break... You... You don't know anything about steak. You can go keep your burger and go home. I wish you could have seen his 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 mind. I could watch, I could see his mind starting to work on this answer when he heard this. There's so many angles he's about to just drop. Just so you know, so much just so you steak know, steak analyst right now. Ah, I'm I'm coming off of three days of fasting because I really wanted to torture myself. So I haven't eaten <laughs> in three days, and you throw a steak question. You know how hungry I am right now to eat a delicious ribeye or a filet mignon, but. This is not a great take. I'm going to give it a C because although I love ribeye, I think it's the most flavorful steak because the the uh, fat is where you get your flavor in the meat, of course. But the reason that filet mignon has a wide appeal is because of its tenderness and because before the great sous vide was invented, a great tender cut of maybe a chuck or a short rib, or even a ribeye was not available to the average person. And so you had to buy the expensive filet mignon at the time because everybody else would uh, would dry it out if they were trying to cook it to tenderness. But we don't have that problem anymore. And so actually, if you've seen the prices of filet mignon, they've gone way down. And actually, a ribeye in a lot of places is more expensive than a filet these days. So uh, enjoy the filet, but it was the tenderness that made it to appeal to people. It wasn't necessarily the taste, although the, he is right about the ribeye being more flavorful because of the fat. All of it sucks compared to a tomahawk. Am I right, Joe? <laughs> That's true. But a tomahawk usually is a ribeye, I mean, so I mean, yeah. uh, it's just a bone-in ribeye. It was just a good way to end the segment. You have to <laughs> no, no, no. I had, to, I, had to nerd, I had to nerd it down <laughs> to, to a level where nobody <laughs> wanted to hear it. All right. Well, that's a perfect way to end this episode of the Tomahawk Show. Uh, we will be back next week, correct? Yes. Yes. We will be back next week. That's all we need from you, Producer John. <laughs> just a, a, a quick yes. Uh, Joe, you have final thoughts? Final thoughts? Um. 
I'm getting really excited because we had a little bit of a lull in the NFL season, but now we're starting to hear, hit the busy part of the NFL mm. season, which is very exciting. I'm going to be out in L.A. several times in the next couple months. We'll be talking free agency. We're going to be talking draft. Check out this guy. And I'm hoping that maybe me and Mr. Hawkins can get together, do a little reunion yeah, tour there at is. Uninterrupted offices, offices and do some in-person podcasting. So I'm really looking forward to the next couple months. It's going to be a good time to be a Tomahawk member. Yeah, well, I think you've said it all. Joe, take us out. Joe, hawk yourself.